Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast, and happy Valentine's Day. I'm, I'm Josh. That was Charles W. Chuck Bryant. I'm Josh Clark. Um, this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast, the love edition. Yeah, well, let's talk about Valentine's Day and love. Uh, do you want to hear a uh, possibly um, true Valentine's Day fact? Sure. So you know where we get the um, concept of sending Valentine's Day cards? Hallmark? No, it was even earlier than that. Okay. little guy by the name of St. Valentine. Okay. Again, this is uncorroborated, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Uh, back in the day, St. Valentine uh, used to hang out with the pagan, I believe Greeks, maybe? Yeah. Uh, Romans? One of the two. And um, who had a custom of hooking up, like picking a partner, and you know that was who you were going to be with for the rest of the year. Not married. All right. But like all the benefits, you know what I mean? Sure. And um, they, they, to consummate that choice, they would, you know, go off and hook up like that day. Right. February 14th. Right. St. Valentine comes along and goes, this is an abhorrence to my God and um, soon to be your God. So let's, let's figure something else out. How about you guys keep picking people that you want to, you know, be friendly with. Okay. Stop the fornication. Okay. And instead just send notes of affection to one another. Wow. Those became, as far as I know, the Valentine's Day card. <laughs> I'm sure that sounds sounds good to me. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. All right. Um, one of the uh, one of the great symbols of Valentine's Day, Chuck, is the heart, which is almost invariably colored red. Yes. It's a very cute iconography. But if you really think about it, what you're seeing is uh, the organ uh, colored by our lifeblood. Yes. What happens when something happens to that organ or that lifeblood, and it goes from inside that cute little heart uh-huh. to being sprayed all over the wall at a high-speed velocity? Yeah. A bunch of things happen. Sure. A lot of te- telltale symbols are left behind after the person falls forward, killed or backwards. by the love of their life on Valentine's Day, no less. Yeah. But, but, bud spatter? Bud spatter. Yeah, we should say probably right now. It's not splatter. Yeah, spatter. It's blood spatter, which strangely enough is is a uh, an appropriate interchangeable term or phrase for uh, blood pattern analysis. It can also be called blood spatter analysis. Did you see that? Yes. It's interchangeable. Or it can be called that stuff Dexter does. It could. You like Dexter, don't you? Yeah, so do you. Okay, so I know that I have a lot of bad karma coming against me. Oh yeah. Um, because <laughs> let me explain why. Okay. That wasn't just a blanket statement. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the, because of the, uh, three times now that I've ruined, um, Six Feet Under for people who yes. haven't seen the whole thing. Uh-huh. But I've not seen season five. So if you're going to talk about Dexter, don't give me any clues as to what goes on in season five. Aside from the, um, off camera breakup of the marriage between Michael Hall and Jennifer Carpenter. Yeah, that was very sad. But Julia Stiles has nothing to do with it. She even released a statement, she said. Oh, really? Yeah. She felt like she needed to? Yeah. Interesting. Which is not her style, usually. No, she's pretty low-key. So, Chuck, um, do you want to talk about Dex? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, 
he's a, a, a you know what I couldn't find out is he's on the show he is a crime scene photographer slash spatter analyst yeah and I couldn't find if that's really a thing so Mike my, my, I'm guessing I'm positing that maybe in some smaller municipalities they may do double duty like that yeah but I bet in Miami they probably have a dedicated photographer dedicated analyst. Uh, yeah, actually, um, from this article, I believe it says that a lot of people, um, a lot of people who become blood pattern analysts, yeah, um, start out as cops or detectives or sure. whatever, and kind of um, find that they have a penchant for reading blood, yeah, and they start taking courses and workshops and, and become certified. So I imagine, yeah, it's possible, especially in smaller areas, that. The people are pulling double or triple duty like that. Yeah, you're probably not going to, in some like tiny county, you're not going to have a full-time crime scene photographer. Or maybe it's some local that's not on the... Uh, but, you know, we'll get to all that, because this is a two-parter. Well, one reason, Chuck, that um, it's not um, just an across-the-board filled position, or even um, available position at every... every um, police department is because, uh, as it's put in the article, it's as much art as science right now. It takes a lot of um, interpretation, and you can't just, you know, hand the stuff over to the uh, prosecutor, and they're just like, bam, case closed. There's the blood pattern analysis. Yeah, look at all that blood on the wall. He did it. But it is used to corroborate other evidence, because it, as we said, it does tell a story when um, the person who you love shoots you through the heart and spatters your blood all over the wall on Valentine's Day, killing you dead. Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, you can tell a lot of things. Um, for instance... This list that I'm about to read, <laughs> uh, the type and velocity of the weapon. You always hear about, you know, this is a blunt force thing or... Knife, stab wound. Stab wound. Uh, gunshot. Uh, the number of blows that this person uh, could withstand before dying and even after death. Yeah, I mean, think you about know. a passion killing. Sure. Rage killing. Uh, the handedness of the assailant, because everyone knows, you know, if I was going to punch you in the face, I'd do it with my right hand, hit you on your left cheek. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, position of the victim and like whether or not they were moved or they flailed around on the floor for a little while trying to trying to live. Yeah. Pull themselves to safety, perhaps. Um, the wound that was inflicted first, like this was the kill wound and all this other stuff happened because it was just a sicko uh, type of injury. How long ago the body's been there and whether it was an immediate death or whether they bled out over the course of hours. Or whether they, um, yeah, if it was an immediate death and the blood just kind of pooled yeah. where they fell, or if there's smears from them crawling or something like that, yeah. which would indicate that death was delayed. Or being dragged, maybe there's nobody. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I took from this, it wasn't explicitly said, but there's um, you can, especially with an old crime scene, um, f- learn a lot about uh, something where there's no other evidence just from the blood. Right. Like um, skeletonized blood. Yeah, blood can uh, actually, where there was once a blood droplet, it can skeletonize and flake away and there will be no drop, but there will be an outline, a mm-hmm. ring around where the drop was. Right. Um, you can also uh, tell from the uh, amount of clotting that's taken place. Apparently, once clotting starts... You know that um, it's been at least 15 minutes, which probably isn't that helpful, but it's been at least 15 minutes since the blood exited the the body. <laughs> so, like, we didn't come up on the right. person like, who's just killed. He died at more than 15 <laughs> minutes ago. We can say that. Thanks a lot, Dexter. Um, and then, uh, but if some stuff's more clotted than others, you can tell that um, the the attack took place over a period of time. Sure, and we talked about in crime scene cleanup, obviously, how it can harden uh, brain can harden on walls. So mm-hmm. it's not just 
blood. No. They're looking at all sorts of bone fragments and pieces of whatever that's in you that is no longer in you. But as we'll see, just the presence of, of say, brain and skull fragments. Um, Indicates a head wound. It, it does. That's a good one. <laughs> You're well on your way to being certified. Yeah. Um, and it also it usually indicates, you know, probably what type of weapon, as we'll see later, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the cool thing about blood, though, Josh, yes, is that it's very predictable. It's very cohesive. It has a lot of surface tension, so the molecules, like, bind really tight. So it's always a little round sphere until it hits something. And when it hits something, it's really predictable what happens. Like, you can read it and pretty much be able to tell things that we'll get into, like angle and velocity and stuff like that. Yeah. With some certainty. Yeah. So much that they use it in court. Yes, they do. To put people in the pokey. Sometimes uh, unfairly. Uh, we will see that, too. Should we talk about the types of spatter? This is my favorite part. The three types of spatter? Mm-hmm. Hit it, then. Okay, well, uh, there's low velocity, medium velocity, and high velocity, right? And that sounds pretty stupid, but there's... Um, the different characteristics of each type of velocity group, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when blood moves, like you said, it follows like, uh, predictable patterns. Gravity. Um, gravity, force, mm-hmm. uh, surface tension keeps it together. Um, and for example, say how high up a blood drop drips from. Yeah. Is going to determine how spread out that drop is. Sure. Because it has uh, more time to accelerate. Yeah. And a greater force when it hits the ground than if it's, you know, an inch or two off of the ground. So that's a pretty good example of a low spatter velocity, a blood drip, right? Yeah, like I've been stabbed and uh, I'm laying on my couch with my arm dangling off and it's just dripping off my fingertip 12 inches to the uh, carpet below. Sure, that's great. The the force that's acting on this low velocity blood spatter is gravity. Yeah. Nothing else, right? Um, they usually come from stab wounds, like you said. Uh, and then some of the properties of a, of a low velocity blood spatter, um, the force of impact is less than five feet per second. Yeah. Not much. Yeah, that's not much. Um, that's like a blood drop, right? Yeah, between uh, usually between four and eight millimeters. That's about the size you're going to get with a low velocity. And like you said, um, it's it's you've been stabbed and you're laying there. So most of the low uh, velocity blood spatters uh, come about after an attack, after the injury's been sustained, right? Yeah, it's not sprayed all over the wall. Right. So uh, stabbing is a pretty good. Usually, it's stabbing is low velocity or vice versa. Um, and uh, one type of low velocity blood spatter from stabbing is called a passive spatter. That's after you've been stabbed and you're walking around and you're basically leaving a, a, a dripping blood trail. Yeah. Should we at this point say that this might be a little gruesome? <laughs> Is it too late? I think it's a little late. All right. I guess we could go to the trouble of going back and inserting it, but I predict, hold on, I predict we will not. We will not. So let's just say that now. You can turn it off at this point if you haven't already. If you're a little creeped out by blood, which I am. Are you really? Yeah, I mean, not. You picked these. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't mean we shouldn't cover it. Okay. I'm not Good like, you, I don't have a true phobia, but I mean, who likes seeing large amounts of blood in that bright, bright red on white surfaces? It's yeesh. Have you ever passed out at the sight of blood? No, no, it's not that bad. I had a roommate in college named John Johnson, real name, uh, who was shucking oysters down in Florida when we were down at the beach once. Uh-huh. And uh, he shucked the meat of the palm of his hand uh. and looked at it, and none of us knew that he was afraid of his own blood, yeah, yeah, and just fell right over. And he was a big boy, so he made quite a, a clamor. Yeah. Uh, he, he came to and, you know, was okay after that, but he fainted dead away 
at the sight of his own blood. Well, I'm Miami. I've never seen something really, really, really gruesome. So, have you never seen pictures? Yeah, I don't like that stuff. I don't either. But um, yeah, I'm not into it. <laughs> uh, but people are, and we'll we'll get to that too. Uh, medium velocity is next, and that has a force uh, from five to one hundred feet per second. Yeah. Uh, diameter no more than four mil- uh, millimeters uh, usually, and that can be caused by a blunt object or I love this line, like a baseball bat or an intense beating with a fist. <laughs> you got to be a tough guy, dude. If you're if you can have the same impact as a baseball bat with your fist, then you're either doing something right or wrong. Or you are you using brass knuckles? Yeah, that's true. So that could also be from a stabbing, actually. Um, and in this case, if you damage an artery. Something can happen called projected blood, and that means you're laying there, and as long as your heart's beating, it's really pumping that blood out, yeah. and it can uh, project in a very distinctive pattern, evidently. Yeah, I mean, like if you if you ever see somebody whose um, carotid artery's been punctured, yeah, and they have their hand there, it's just like spewing from between their fingers. Yeah, it's projected blood. Uh, that's medium velocity, which can be compared to a, like a um, a good squirt gun. What are those ones called? Super suckers. Yeah. Like that kind of spray. Um, and it's not just the heart that's projecting it. And that's a, that's a good example of medium velocity, the heart pumping the blood and projecting it out of the body, right? Um, another, uh, medium velocity blood spatter is let's say, um, you're beating somebody with a lead pipe. Yeah. When you're drawing back again to the conservatory. Exactly. Uh That's what I thought of too. Right. I thought about that. Um, when you're drawing back for another blow, oh yeah, sure. You're you're whipping the blood off of the lead pipe. Yeah. After that first blow, so that's medium medium velocity, which you said is about uh, five to a hundred feet per second. Yeah. Okay. So uh, then you have high velocity, which is uh, pretty much a gunshot wound, and that's more than a hundred feet per second. That's when blood is really hauling. You got tiny little sprays on the wall or wherever. And uh, that's the one where you're going to find, like, tissue and, and bone, usually, along yeah, with the blood. Chances are. Um, less than one millimeter in diameter. And you can either have, uh, you can have front spatters, back spatters, or both. If the bullet goes through you, you're going to have both. Yeah. Entry and exit one. Yeah, think about it. Like, anytime you see somebody get shot, like, the, the blood almost doesn't spatter. Like, it'll just start soaking the shirt or something like that yeah, on the front. Yeah, but don't look behind. Yeah, you look behind, <laughs> and all of a sudden there's a huge hole because of cavitation. Yeah, full metal jacket comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Gross. So you have seen gruesome things. Well, yeah, in the movies. Pile! Uh, <laughs> what is your major malfunction? <laughs> uh, and my favorite thing in this on this page was the uh, the bit about internal muzzle staining and stippling. Sick stuff, but pretty awesome too. Yeah, if basically in, well, I guess it could happen in any kind of gunshot that's close, but it, it's got to be real close. I think of an execution style murder. Sure, like when a mobster says we need to whack uh, Jimmy two feet. I guess two feet would be normal, but yeah, he's got two feet. <laughs> <laughs> he's the most nondescript gangster of all time. Exactly. Which one again? Um, so they would put the gun like up to his head, and in that case, the skin, if there's still a body, can have burns from the gunpowder. Mm-hmm. And the inside of the muzzle, because of the uh, cooling of the explosive gas used, can actually suck blood back inside of the gun. Yeah, the spray, that fine mist. So if you're lucky enough to get a hold of that gun, they can swab the inside and be like, this is Jimmy Two Feet's blood on the inside of your muzzle here, buddy. That's why you just throw it in the East River. 
Yeah, or use the old pillow method. Don't don't be cheap. Right. <laughs> wow, uh, I just gave advice to murderers. Yeah. That's weird. I guess we did. I've never done that before. Uh, the other thing... Oh, sure you haven't. <laughs> the other thing that they can look for is... Uh, <laughs> no, you got to use brass knuckles. <laughs> is a void. And a void is where, uh, let's say I were to uh, kill somebody and the blood is spraying on me and the wall behind me, mm-hmm. there will be a... You're going to leave a handsome silhouette. Yeah, not an outline of a body like a cartoon, but there will be a void there where they said, you know, something or somebody got in the way of the bl- uh, blood spatter. Go find me that shirt. Which is now in a trash can Go somewhere. find me that last chance garage hat covered <laughs> in blood. That'd be bad news. I love that hat. So, Chuck, you've seen Dexter. We talked about this, right? Seen them all. Yeah, I have too. Except for season five, right? Oh, Dexter, I, I thought you meant like all crime. Oh, no, no. Seen. I've seen each episode. Gotcha. Sorry. Um, uh, well, surely you've seen then, at least I know for a fact, in at least one episode, he's messing with like these red strings yeah. in the room. That's when the art department really gets involved. Yeah. So th- this, you can, un- you can imagine, Chuck, that this is a very painstaking process. Yeah. For the art department. Each, each of these lines, not just for the art department, <laughs> the but this life. happens in real life. It's, yeah. it's a method of figuring out the angle of um, the path of blood. Yeah, I thought this might be outdated, but they still use it sometimes. They do. Um, well, let's, there was something that the, the um, article I thought left out, and it was the importance of determining the angle. It just went into how we figure out angles. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but the, there's a lot of import in figuring out what angle these, this blood spray travel, traveled, right? Yeah, because it'll tell you a lot of times... You know, that the person who fired the weapon was probably taller than six feet because the gun was at a certain level, at a certain angle. So was it a man? Was it likely a man? Was it likely a woman based on the height, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, If if it's a downward angle, Mm -hmm. then that might corroborate the idea that this person was killed execution style, which juries like to hear about if that's going on. Because that's like get on your knees type of thing usually. Yeah, that's pretty cold-blooded. If somebody's pleading self-defense and said they were on the floor, an upward angle... Uh, would would corroborate that yeah. and, and might you know get them off in their self defense plea. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of reasons why figuring out the angle is is very important, right? Agreed. And it's also probably the most scientific of um, blood pattern analysis. Math heavy, trigonometry heavy. Yeah, we tried. We should say we tried to find a math heavy. And I made the mistake of emailing our editorial department <laughs> to get someone to describe it, and I thought, no, we're all none that of us like a math. Half-hearted attempt. That's why we're writers. Yeah, we didn't so have to we do math. don't have to do math, especially we, not trigonometry. Yeah, we I, do now, though. I think I have this licked, but yeah, it's, it's really not that hard, actually. Once I reread it a well, few times, let's talk about the strings first. Okay. So it is you. You do. Uh, you do. They do use these strings. Elastic. Uh, elastic strings. Mm-hmm. Each one represents a drop of blood. So if you have a lot of drops of blood, you're going to yeah. have a lot of strings. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Right? Um, but you you create a uh, – you, you find a level, right? Like you create a level point. Yes. You start running strings through the level point from the blood to, yes. you know, somewhere else in space. The wall or a ceiling. And then all of a sudden, after you start doing a few of these strings, you're going to find that they all come together at a certain point. And that point is the area of convergence – A.K.A. what was originally a person's head. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that's where all the blood came from. So you're going to find where where they on the ground, where they up high. Um, Basically, you're creating in real life a three-dimensional model 
of the path this blood took. Yes. Right? And uh, where the person was standing, where they were in relation to the wall, all that stuff, you're probably going to figure out um, how the person was attached from what side, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's very important, and that's the old school, really methodical way to do it, right? Yeah, are you going to explain the trigonomic? Uh... This is for college boy blood pattern analysts. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah? Well, are you, you going to explain You want me to go for it? Yeah, because I'll explain the way I would do it afterward. Okay. Okay. Which I think is actually how the um, how this, this article describes it. We'll, we'll see. What, how Chuck would do it? Yeah. Okay. So um, when blood hits... Uh, when when blood hits a a, a surface, uh-huh. whether it's drywall or the floor or the ceiling or something like that, if it if it falls or travels uh, straight up and down, it's it's that's a ninety degree angle. Yeah, you're gonna get a little round drop. You get a round drop, but the the stronger the angle, right? Mm-hmm. The more severe the angle. Yeah. The drop starts to elongate. Yeah. It hits like you know when you skip a stone. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Or when you spill any liquid. And that's another way to put it. Yeah. So as it, um, as it elongates, it gets longer and thinner. And what you can actually do is take the measurements of each one of these drops, mm-hmm. right? And you take, well, let me see if I got this, Chuck. You take the width, right? So obviously we were writers. <laughs> Anytime this comes up. You, you take the width and you divide it by the length. Uh-huh. And that gives you a number. Yes. This is trigonometry, by the way. Right. Um, and you deter, you take that number and you use a calculator. <laughs> yeah. And you use the arc sine function. Yeah, don't ask us to really explain how to come well, up with even the arc in sine. Well, even in the article, like, I, I, I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, they just said get a calculator. Arc sine is the uh, converse of sine or cosine, one of those. Um, and basically what you're finding is the angle of a right triangle. Yeah. By taking the um, opposite side and dividing it by the hypotenuse. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that will give you, once you figure out the arc sign of that number, the angle. And that's the college boy way of figuring out the angle that blood traveled from the area of convergence. Exactly. So a quick example, if you have a two millimeter uh, wide blood stain that's four millimeters long, you divide that and you get 0.5 and the arc sign of that is 30. And we so. figured out the arc sine of 5 is 30, point five is 30, by using that calculator. Yeah, and 30 would be your angle. That means a 30-degree angle is, is what you're looking at. All right. So this is how Chuck would do it. Chuck would get a computer program called No More Strings. <laughs> I guess they couldn't use No Strings Attached. That's what I would have called it. Ooh, maybe uh, you could make a competing program. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, no More Strings is a program that actually creates a three-dimensional model, and you plug in all your numbers, and it does it for you with uh, computer animation. And that's, I want to say modern. It is modern, but they do still use a string method. Um, and a lot of times they say that will be more convincing to a jury if they can look at animation mm-hmm. than hear some nerd uh, explain it in front of them while they're falling asleep. Exactly. No, I mean, I think that's very much the case. That's probably why that software is probably more used than either of the other two methods these days. Yeah, I would call it the jury swayer program. Right. That's what I would call it. I would call it the widow maker. <laughs> All right. Uh, a little history? Yeah. We usually cover that first, but we didn't. I think this uh, this is a fine article. I like the way it was paced and then laid out. Yeah, very detailed. Yeah. Uh, it's been around, actually, since the 1890s. They've been... You know, analyzing blood stains and spatter, 
but they didn't really start using it uh, till much later. The um, the first guy, I love the name of this book, the first guy uh, from the Institute of Forensic Medicine in Poland, his name was Dr. Eduard Piotrowski, wrote a book called Concerning the Origin, Shape, Direction, and Distribution of the Blood Stains Following Head Wounds Caused by Blows. And I imagine that was also his, uh, how he got the ladies. <laughs> Tell him he wrote that, showing his book to the ladies. And uh, it would be, I think, probably about 50 years later that they actually started using uh, these interpretations in court. Yeah, that guy laid the groundwork for how to do it, at about least for, for a beating. Yeah, for Paul Kirk. Yeah, and Paul Kirk was a, a physician um, in Ohio, right? Yeah. There was a 1955 case of uh, Samuel Shepard being prosecuted for murder, and Dr. Kirk um, figured out from blood spatter analysis uh, where um, Samuel Shepard was when he attacked the victim, yeah. allegedly. Well, he was prosecuted so or convicted, so that's the fact. And then it also showed that um, Sam Shepard, or that the victim, was attacked with uh, by a left-handed person. Yeah. But I'm assuming Sam Shepard was. Won the case. Bam. Blood spatter analysis is on the map. I wonder what the jury thought about that first. Because it means now it's so all over the place. You know all about the stuff. But the first time someone like recreated a scene and said he was this tall and left-handed, were they like, wow, that's amazing? Or what are you talking about? I wonder. Probably while it's amazing, just like once today. Yeah. Have you heard of the CSI effect? Yeah, we've talked about it. Wait, did we? Yeah. Oh, it was a long time ago. Yeah. It was between episode zero and 100. Gotcha. But explain it, because we have new listeners. Oh, well, uh, and welcome, basically, new listeners. Hey, new listeners, <laughs> listen up. Uh, the CSI effect is basically uh, juries watching things like CSI, Dexter, all this um, televisionized uh, blood spatter analysis or forensic science and expecting that, uh, so if a prosecutor fails to deliver, that means that the case isn't all that great. Yeah. Or, conversely, if the prosecutor of the defense can deliver some whiz-bang, no-more-strings, 3D graphics of somebody getting shot or not getting shot, the jury is swayed because, you know, that's how you win, that's how you win a case. So yeah. um, there's, a, there's an expectation that a, a case has to have that kind of thing. Yeah. That's the CSI effect. Yeah, it's or, either someone going, that's not how they do it on TV. Yeah, exactly. Or, hey, that's exactly how they do it on TV. Right. Probably has the reverse effect, too. You could also just as easily call it the Dancing with the Stars effect, the American Idol effect. Like, Well, those are different effects. But they have the same effect. Bleeding? Deadening. <laughs> Dumbing down. Uh, there was a third gentleman, Josh, in the history of blood spatter analysis, Dr. Herbert McDonnell. And uh, he came around in the early set. He wasn't born in the early 70s because that'd be pretty young to be studying this kind of thing. He's the Doogie Hauser blood spatter. <laughs> he, my brother worked on that. He came into prominence with uh, uh, blood spatter in 1971 and wrote a, a book about it, probably a more updated version than uh, the uh, Polish gentleman. And he started training uh, officers in that and got together at a convention in 1983 and said uh, to his fellow guys, like, you know, we should start a group. <laughs> we should start an organization. <laughs> Listen. I imagine you get pretty loaded at a blood spatter a convention. Uh-huh. And so they did. They started the International Association of Bloodstain Pattern Analysis Analysts. That's great, Chuck. I hope I don't get in trouble for that. I don't think you will. Nah, he was a great guy. He didn't drink. I at gave all. advice to murderers earlier. 
Chamberlain case. Should we go ahead and hit this one? Yeah. You're a fan of Seinfeld. So you're familiar yeah. with the, maybe a dink I wake your baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was Elaine doing her best Meryl Streep, who actually said, the dink I wake my baby, who was doing her best, Lindy Chamberlain, yeah. who in real life said, a dink I wake my baby. Um, and <laughs> I think I took my it. baby is what the original line was. And I think Elaine changed it to eight. <laughs> That's much more severe. Either way. <laughs> Either way, in 1980 in Australia, uh, the Chamberlain family, uh, Richard and Lindy, and their two kids, Zaria and Reagan, were camping uh, at Ayers Rock. Another kid. They had a third there, too, actually. Oh, they did? Yeah, it never gets any press. Oh, okay. It's like, I want to stay out of this. Yeah. Um, and, well, they were camping with their three kids at Ayers Rock, and apparently... Uh, Lindy, the mom, noticed a dingo near her kid's tent and went over and saw the dingo, I guess it was nighttime, uh, running off with something. She said she couldn't see what. Yeah. But when she looked uh, at the inside the tent, she saw that the four-week-old or ten-week-old Azaria was missing and that there was blood. So there was a huge search of this park, and they found a dingo layer, found the baby's clothes, Yeah. And now bloody, and... um. Basically, didn't buy the mom's story or the parent's story that it was a dingo. They think that they thought pretty quickly off the bat that there was something fishy, something hinky, as you would say. Yeah. Um, and they started investigating her and kind of under the assumption that this, uh, that they framed a dingo. They'd actually <laughs> murdered their baby. Yeah. That, well, a couple of the things that happened was they found, um, when they found the, the, the little jumper, it was not torn that much. It was bloody, but the snaps were closed, and it looked as if it had been pulled off of a body. Um, the key key thing that happened was, is the mom said, Lindy said, you know, there was a jacket. She had a jacket on, and they didn't find any jacket at all. Right. And uh, the other thing that happened was the uh, there was a, a witness, not a witness, but a, someone nearby camping that obviously when all the brouhaha started, she came over there, and she saw the cops pick up the jumper and just fold it. And take it away. Right. And even she, I think at the time, thought, oh, you probably shouldn't be handling evidence like that. Yeah. It's not the way to do it. And they, they didn't photo document the scene, right? No. Big mistake. Uh, they basically mishandled all the evidence in the thing. They were hit cops from Central Australia handle, <laughs> handling like a, a huge murder case or a yeah. huge death case. Yeah. So they muddled the whole thing to the point where there was just basically a lot of speculation. Uh, they had one expert testify that... From the blood stain on the jumper, it looked like a throat was cut. Yeah. And that's pretty much what sealed her fate to be convicted. Well, what also sealed her fate um, is that she remained very cool and unemotional throughout this trial. Oh, really? And the jury hated her. They did not like her. They didn't understand why a woman could remain collected right. when her baby was dead, let alone when she's being tried for it, you know? If she hadn't really killed the baby, so in addition to just blotched, botched handling a blood pattern analysis mm. or none, no real blood pattern analysis, yeah. um, it was you know her demeanor that helped convict her as well. Interesting. I want to see that movie. I haven't seen it. I, I haven't either. I just know about it for some reason. Yeah. Well, she got an Academy Award nomination, but all she has to do is show up, and she gets an Academy Award nomination. Not necessarily true. Let's get real. No. You about to point out a stinker of Meryl Streep's? I'm just saying she's played the same character a few times. Oh, please. Okay. We won't go down that road. 
Um, what happened to the Chamberlain's children? Well, she was convicted of murder, and he was convicted, right, too, as well? Of uh, being an accessory, or as some say, accessory, to murder, <laughs> right? Yes, and she was in jail, uh, sent to prison for life, and then three years later, a guy was hiking in a similar area, mm-hmm. fell to his death. Oh, my God. And when they went and found his body, he was near a dingo lair, uh, several dingo layers, and they found the missing jacket. Just by chance, because wow. this guy had fallen to his death I there. did not know that. And uh, I don't, as far as I know, Richard uh, Chamberlain did not push him to his death so they could find the planted jacket. So they, they actually said, <laughs> no, this clears you guys. We found the jacket uh, years later, covered with blood, near dingo layers, torn. Sorry. You got, here's 1.3 Sorry million. Sorry about your baby. She got 1.3 mil Australian, uh, is it pounds? Australian dollars. Australian uh, units of money. Do- no, Australian dollars. Was it dollars, I swear. And apparently that was only about a third of their legal fees, so uh, it's not the happiest ending. Although she did end up out of jail and exonerated. She got to meet Meryl Streep. I imagine so. Maybe. I wonder if she met Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Probably not. Probably not. So, um, that's blood pattern analysis. There's a lot of really cool graphics and illustrations. Did you see those? Yeah, and by graphics, we don't mean awful, awful pictures. We no, mean- there's some pictures of blood, and if you read the captions, you're like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's not like anything that I, the average person couldn't handle. Um, but no, there's some cool illustrations of, of how you figure out areas of convergence, that kind of stuff. Yeah. really puts the, uh, the, the punch into trigonometry. That's what How yeah. Stuff Works does. Absolutely. Type in uh, blood. Just blood. It'll bring up a bunch of cool stuff. But if you really want to do a, a good search, do blood pattern in the search bar, the bloody, bleeding, gushing search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said bloody, bleeding, blood, what did I say? Bloody, bleeding search bar. Since I said that, it means it's time for the listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this uh, Malingling Munkhausers. Uh, Jerry either laughed at that or she blew snot because she's sick. Maybe the both. Can tell. Uh, this is from Brooks, and Brooks says, Hi, guys, and Jerry, I've been loving your podcast for the last few weeks. New, new listener. If loving our podcast is wrong, Brooke doesn't want to be right. <laughs> uh, while he's been driving 45 minutes to a different hospital for Brooks. his ER rotation. Sorry, Brooks. He's a fourth-year med student. Uh, during the Munkhausen podcast, you mentioned malingering, which made me think of one of the patients we saw in the ER last week. Uh, and he says that this doesn't violate any uh, HIPAA oath because he doesn't have any like details that matter. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I believe him. I don't. But we'll see. A uh, young guy came in complaining of sudden onset flank pain, classic for kidney stones. Sure. Uh, we asked him for a urine sample to check for microscopic blood. Our first clue that something was up should have been when he asked if we needed to watch him supply the sample. Uh, that's only routine procedure and drug testing, not medical testing. Uh, when we got the sample from him, it was totally bloody, and we knew it was contaminated. Wow. So we asked him for a ca- catheterized specimen, and I was totally shocked when he said, okay. Not many people take the catheter. Uh, I think he was shocked. Yeah. yeah, I think he was shocked by the size of the tube he used <laughs> to get the sample. He nearly jumped off the table during the process. But during his moving, an empty blood vial shook out of his pocket. Uh, what we concluded was that he had stolen a vial of his own blood from a lab earlier in the day, brought it to the ER with the goal of convincing us he had a kidney stone. His secondary gain, aside from malingering, painkillers. 
Yeah, He's drug seeking. seeking. Yeah, med seeking. Uh, my boss was not amused, though I was. Just thought you'd enjoy hearing about a good solid case of malingering. From JD of Scrubs. Yeah, from Brooks of Shawshank Redemption. That's a good one, Brooks. We appreciate you. Thanks for sending that in. That's awesome. Good luck, uh, med student. Fourth year. Fourth year. Good luck in the real world. We're pulling for you. Keep sending us cool stories. My mom was an ER nurse for decades, and she always had the best stories ever. Yeah. Um, If you have a good story about... Probably not too many blood spatter stories out. A good Valentine's Day story. We want to hear it. Wrap it up. Send it in an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?